Well, there's a word that I think initially we resist, or maybe we even would use the word we, we hate to describe this word. It's something that we're grateful once we develop it, but getting there is a process. And that word is discipline. It's discipline. It's, it's that, that person that we're friend with that we see them coming and we're like, no, why would you have to come right now? Because we know that they're going to tell us something that we needed to hear and we generally don't want to hear it, but we're grateful that uh, they shared the, that, that word with us. Or maybe it's a workout. You hate facing a workout because it hurts and you're sore afterwards, but you're glad that you did. For me, it was running. I used to run and I hated running. I started running for the health benefits, and let me tell you, I was not, and I'm still not, a runner. It took me a long time to develop that habit of running. I'd start out, and I'd start counting the telephone poles because I'm like, okay, can I get to the next one? Can I get to the next one? And I was so out of breath, I'd finally make it to that telephone pole, and then I'd just start walking and start walking for a while. And eventually, as I kept doing that, developed that discipline, I was able to to run all the way and start running longer distances, but it took a long time for me to get there. Eventually, I started running because I enjoyed it, not because it was a discipline. That, that, what, that thing that started out as an ought became something that I wanted to do. Run in the rain? Sure, I'd run in the rain. Run in weather like we had on Friday, where it was like a high of 14 and windy? Sure, I loved running in the cold. Now, I don't run anymore because we've got kids and I don't have time to run like I used to, but, man, I miss it. Now, maybe for you, it wasn't running, it wasn't something, you know, physical, but maybe for you, it was developing the habit of eating healthy. Maybe you started eating healthy because your doctor told that you needed to eat less red meat or you needed to eat more vegetables, and you're like, "Eh, I don't know. I don't know that I like cauliflower crust that much. Or maybe for you it was something completely different. Maybe it was eating less sugar, but whatever it is, there's these things that they, can, they, they require discipline. They're, ha- they're, they're, they're difficult for us to develop. And you see, we never, really develop, or we never really regret discipline, and we never regret good habits, but it takes us a long time to get there. We're grateful once we develop those things. And we resist, I think, discipline. We resist developing good habits because they require us to recognize some things about ourselves. They require us to change some things about ourselves. They require us to change maybe our existing routines or existing habits. Maybe they require us uh, to get out of our comfort zone. They require us maybe to recognize that there's something about me that I need to change, that nobody can change for me, but I'm responsible. I need to change that thing. And so we resist initially. And it takes some time to develop that self-control. And it's always a struggle. Again, we've always, we've all probably experienced something that begins as, I know I ought to do this. And the more we do it, the more we have that self-control, the more we develop that discipline, eventually ought becomes want to. It becomes, rather endure, it becomes something that we get to enjoy. Because here's what we know about discipline. Is that discipline facilitates progress. Whether that's progress in our physical health, that's progress financially, progress professionally, whatever it is, discipline facilitates progress. There's no progress without discipline. But discipline also requires delayed gratification. Discipline requires us to put off whatever it is we want in order for us to get what we need. 
Delayed gratification is doing what we ought to now so we can do what we want to later. And it's hard for us to do on our own to delay gratification, yet we live in a culture that makes it even harder for us to do this. You see, we live in a culture that tells us, don't delay gratification. Get what you want now. Why wait? Prime? Great. Get everything on Prime. Have it today. You know, order it you know, in the next four hours, and you could have it by the end of the day. Get what you want now. We live in a, in a culture that tells us that, that's designed that way. But yet, we, we know that that's not always the most healthy thing. That if we want to move forward in life, we need to have discipline, and discipline requires delayed gratification. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Today, we're in part five of our series called Faithful, Fueling Your Faith in a World on Empty. And today, Pastor Phil, he's right here, he's off. Uh, he gets, you know, Sundays off once in a while, so he's just here today to enjoy church. Um, and so he, he asked if I would speak, and it's kind of funny because every time that we talk about this subject, discipline, at our church, I'm the guy that gets to talk about discipline. I'm the discipline guy. And so, you know, today I, I brought my ruler, and most of the time when we think of discipline, we think of somebody like this. Uh, no, I didn't bring my ruler. I didn't bring my nun's habit. Um, but it, it's kind of funny because it seems like there is this theme going on that I'm the guy that talks about discipline. So maybe someday, Phil, you'll get to, to teach or preach on, on disciplines. But the reason why we're talking about discipline today is because it was Jesus's agenda for his followers that we would have faith that was active, that was living, that was gritty. Faith that would change things, that moved things. Faith that, that went somewhere and didn't just stay in a building. That was his desire. His desire, his invitation was follow me. His invitation was follow me, come live like me. I want you to live in such a way that reflects who I am and the good news of my kingdom. So come and follow me. And Jesus never changed that invitation to us to follow him. But parts of the church reduced that invitation of Jesus from follow me to just simply believe in me. Here's some things about God and about Jesus that you can just believe. And if you believe these things, you're good. But Jesus never changed his invitation to follow me. You see, believe in me is easier. Believe things about Jesus is way easier than follow Jesus. You see, believe things about Jesus doesn't require us to change anything. It doesn't require us to get out of our comfort zone. And it doesn't require us to go anywhere, to change anything. It's just safer. It's just easier to just believe things about Jesus rather than follow Jesus. And James, the brother of Jesus, actually knew this, and he, he talked about it in uh, his letter. He wrote that even the demons believe in Jesus. That is, that they believe things about Jesus. They believe that he's real, but they're not following Jesus because following makes all the difference rather than believing things. And so Jesus didn't simply invite people just to believe things about him, but he invited people to follow him. And Jesus invites us to wake up every day with the question, what does it look like for me to follow Jesus? To step out in faith, to put my trust in Jesus instead of just believing some things about Jesus. What does it look like for me to follow him? And so in this series, we're looking at what are the things that God uses to grow our faith? And so we, we talked about the first week that God uses practical teaching to grow our faith. 
That when people tell their faith stories, they talk about the first time that they went to a church where they finally understood what the pastor was saying. Or maybe they went to a Bible study for the first time and they actually understood uh, what was being talked about. And because they understood, they could apply what they were learning. And when they applied that, God showed up and God met them and God changed their life. The second thing that we talked about was personal ministry. Personal ministry that when people share their faith stories... That they talk about the people that God, or that's the wrong point. That when people share their faith stories, they talk about the first time that they stepped out of their comfort zone in order to to present what they have, that little bit of whatever it is, that skill to God, and trust God to use it. And God met them there when they presented that thing that they're like, you know, I'm going to step out in faith. I don't know, you know, I'm not very good at this, but I'm going to trust God to use it anyway. And God showed up and God met them. And God used that, that personal ministry to grow their faith. And the third thing that we talked about was providential relationships. That when people tell their faith story, they often talk about the fact that God brought somebody along at just the right time in their faith journey. And that somebody encouraged them or maybe taught them something or maybe you know, said something. And God used that person in their life or maybe God used that person in your own life to grow your faith, to challenge, to encourage you. See, when people tell their, their faith story, they usually say something like, and then I met this person at work, or and then I met this neighbor that moved in next door, and they invited me to church, and I started going to church with them, and my life's no longer the same. Or maybe for you, it wasn't any of those people. Maybe for you, you knew somebody that you know, you'd known for a long time, and then all of a sudden, you recognize that they were a little bit different, that they weren't the same person anymore. You're like, what's, you know, something's different about you, and they began to share their, their faith with you and invited you to church. And because of that, that providential relationship, now your faith is growing. Your faith is no longer the same. And so today we're, we're looking at the fourth faith, faith catalyst. Today we're looking at personal spiritual disciplines. That when people tell their faith stories, they usually talk about, uh, about three different things. They talk about, you know, for the first time I began to pray and read the Bible and then God showed up. Or I, for the first time, I began to give systematically and, and, God, and trust God with my income, and that challenged me. Or maybe they, they say things like, I began to show up consistently to Sunday gatherings with other Jesus followers. And these are things that, that take time to develop, that once we begin to do them over and over, they have the power to shape and to grow our faith. I know in my own life, these are things that God has used to grow and to shape my faith. The faith to... To begin a church with Pastor Phil, God used these things to grow me, to shape me. But in order for us to develop personal spiritual disciplines, we need to pre-decide. That is, to make a decision ahead of time to do something. Pre-decide to do something. Because sometimes doing things, like we talked about earlier, discipline, sometimes it starts out as, I know I ought to. But the more we do them, eventually can become want to. So maybe we start out doing some things and it feels like I'm just checking the box. I'm just going through the motions. But whatever it is, the more we do them, God seems to show up and grow our faith. I know this is how it started out for me. And some days it feels like I'm I'm still just going through the motions. But this is how it starts out. It's developing a new habit, a new routine, a new way of living. And we see... Whenever we begin to do these things, at least this is what I found out in my own life, that the invitation of Jesus to follow me becomes real. 
no longer just words that I'm reading on a page, but Jesus is inviting me to follow him. It's personal. It's, it's all-encompassing. It's saying to Jesus, Jesus, your will be done right here, right now, in my own life. It's personal. And the beautiful things about spiritual disciplines is that we don't do them because we have to. That is, doing them isn't about getting God to love us. God already loves us. God already says, you're my child. You're forgiven. You are set free. But rather, personal spiritual disciplines flow out of God's love for us. They flow out of our existing relationship with Jesus, how small or how new that relationship might be. These disciplines flow out of it. And these disciplines, they're personal. They're not private. I say personal because there is relationship involved. It's, there is relationship involved with our Heavenly Father. If they were personal if they were, or if they were private, they'd be individualistic. There wouldn't be anything spiritual about them because there wouldn't be any spirit involved. It'd just be me and whatever space is around me. But they're personal because there's relationship. There's another person involved and God shows up and meets us there in those moments. And these personal disciplines are critical to our faith because they release the kingdom of God in our life. They release God's rule and reign in our life, and it forces us to grapple with the question, am I following Jesus, or do I just simply believe things about Jesus? You know, I can remember whenever I was in early college working an internship one summer, and working with somebody that asked me a question. Their question was, are you a Christian? And I can remember this tension inside of me to this day that I was really uneasy and not sure how to answer that question. I thought about it a little bit. And then eventually I said, yes, because I knew that was the right answer. But it forced me to recognize that I believed things about Jesus, but I wasn't actually following Jesus. I wasn't submitting to his rule and reign in my own life. And so personal disciplines, they fine-tune our consciences. So that way, what bothers God bothers us. What brings God joy now brings us joy. What, what God delights in, we now delight in. And when people talk about spiritual disciplines and their, their personal journey, generally they talk about these things that we're going to talk about today. And these, there's like, not like a, a special list that you find in the Bible that's like you have to do all these things. Thou shalt read the Bible. Thou shalt do you know, daily quiet time, whatever. No, these are things that we've seen show up over and over as people tell their faith story. And maybe this is true of your own faith story. That these are the things that, that God uses to grow your faith and God has used to grow my own faith. And so the personal disciplines that we're going to talk about today are daily devotions, percentage giving, and corporate worship. So let's start off by talking about daily devotions. Spending daily time with God. Now, again, there's no passage in the Bible that says thou shalt spend X number of minutes per day talking to God or reading the Bible. But instead, what we see is if we want to follow Jesus, we have to know who Jesus is. We have to know what Jesus taught. And the best way for us to do that is to open up the pages of Scripture, to open up the New Testament, to follow Jesus through one of the accounts of his life, one of the gospel accounts. Because in order to, to know what Jesus is like, in order to follow him, we have to know who he is. And that's the best way for us to do that. 
just by simply opening up the New Testament and beginning to read. And there's going to be a slide up here um, that you can actually start reading uh, the Bible today, that you can start reading uh, Matthew's uh, account of the life of Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, So if you scan that code, uh, and some people might have to stand in the center aisle I found during the run-through service to be able to scan the code, um, but that will pull up Hope Community on the Bible app. We've got a featured plan on the Gospel of Matthew. Set up a reminder to start, you know, to remind you to read that, that, you know, that plan. And once you're done with that plan, start another one. Start reading through the Gospel of Mark, and then Luke, and then John. But begin to, to follow Jesus through the Gospels. That's the best way for us to learn what Jesus is like if we want to follow him. Because here's what you'll, you'll discover as you begin to read scripture. Is that God will meet you there. That God will show up. He will encourage you. He will convict you. He'll remind you of truth. He'll assure you. He'll prompt you. In fact, that was my own experience this week. I opened up the Bible app and the verse of the day was exactly what I needed to be reminded of. That God was with me. That God was in control. And that doesn't happen every time I open the pages of Scripture. But sometimes it does, and it's personal. That God knows what we need. He meets us there. And so it takes time to develop this habit. And I want to encourage you today to pre-decide to do this. Don't wait till tomorrow and say, okay, tomorrow I'm going you know, to read all the Gospel of Matthew. Don't do that because you're going to set yourself up for failure pre-decide today, begin that discipline, that self-control uh, today to do that. And as I said earlier, this is something that God has used in my own life. This is a habit that I developed many years ago. It's taken a long time, or it took a long time to develop this daily habit. I don't know how many times I started uh, in Genesis and got to the book of Leviticus and stopped and started over and stopped and started over and did that many times until finally I developed the discipline. It's discipline. It takes time, but it's worth it. What started out as ought became want to. Now it's part of my daily routine. And I can tell you as, as your pastor that I've read the entire Bible cover to cover about 14 times over the course of the last 14 years. It's because it's a daily habit. It's possible for you to do that. Because I've found it possible in my own life. It's challenging to develop that habit, but it can be done and it's worth it. Because here's the thing, it's, it's different than just simply listening to a message or when somebody else is speaking to you. Because it's in these moments when you open up scripture that God meets you there. That God reminds you, that God encourages you. And you might feel like God is even speaking to you. And so before you begin reading, I would encourage you to just simply pray, God, would you meet me here this morning? That's it. Just a simple prayer. And see what God can do with our little faith. God, you know what? I'm not very good at sitting down to read my Bible, but God, I'm trusting that you would do something as I'm here this morning. So just try it out. Speaking of prayer, do you remember Jesus' lesson on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, we read this. That whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. So don't act like those people. These people, these hypocrites, they pray to be seen not by God, not to receive what God can do 
can't speak to them through prayer, but rather to be seen and praised by people. Jesus continues on. He says, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Their reward is that they were seen by people. That people praise them because they're like, wow, look at them. Look how much they pray. But they're praying for all the wrong motives. And Jesus continues on. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room. Go into a quiet place. Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees a secret will reward you. Your father sees you. He knows that you're there. When we set aside, undivided, when we give God our undivided attention to pray, to seek him, your father sees and will reward you. And the reward is not some, you know, financial blessing, but the reward is that God sees, that God knows, that God will answer your prayer. And that answer might not always be yes, it might not be no, it could be not yet. God sees and God knows. God will answer. And so when you pray, don't pray like the Gentiles since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. And don't be like them because your father knows. There we go. Your father sees. Your father knows the things that you need before you even ask him. So set some, si- some time aside to allow your father in heaven to see you. Because your father knows. He knows you. He knows what you need. And he, Jesus commands us to set aside focused time when God gets our undivided attention. And this isn't something that Jesus just commanded. This is something that Jesus modeled over and over again. Uh, just after feeding the 5,000, Matthew tells us uh, in Matthew chapter five or 14, verse 22, that immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. He went up to the mountain, to that private place, that deserted place, to a quiet place where he could be alone with the Father, where he didn't have distractions from all the crowds, from the disciples, but rather he could have undivided attention with God. That quietness for God to see God to know for him to experience that. And Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, also records this about Jesus, that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, meaning Jesus, he got up. He got up at the first moments of the day and got up and went out and made his way to a deserted place. Again, that, there we have that, that, that undivided attention being focused on God, and he was there praying. And the disciples, they woke up and they began to wonder where Jesus was and they began to look for him. And Simon and his companions, they searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you setting aside this time? And Jesus continued to do this, to give his father the first minutes of the day. And we're invited to do that as well, to follow Jesus, to imitate Jesus in doing this. It's a discipline. It takes time to develop this habit, to acknowledge God's greatness, to surrender our will, and to declare our dependence on our Heavenly Father. See, when we do this at the first part of the day, we're anticipating stresses, we're anticipating uh, temptations, and we invite our Heavenly Father into those things. We invite our Father into the day, and we invite him to strengthen us and empower us for the rest of the day. So that's our first personal discipline. 
is daily devotions. Some people might call it a daily quiet time if you've been around church for any length of time. But our next thing that we're going to talk about, and this is really challenging for guys especially to develop, is percentage giving. Percentage giving. Percentage giving is just simply pre-deciding to give a percentage of your income to what God is doing in the community and in the world. And giving isn't about money. Giving is about our heart. It's about our dependence. It's where are we putting our trust. It's about our priorities. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, So do not worry. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? You know, these things that we, that we depend on every day, eating, drinking, having clothes, Jesus says, don't worry about them. We might put it this way and think, God, how am I going to afford eggs this week? You know, eggs are so expensive. They keep going up and down and up and down. You can't win the egg game. You, you see eggs at one price at one store, and you go to the next store. It's like, okay, they're cheaper here. I'm going to start getting them here. Then you go back to the other store, and they're cheaper at that store. It's like, I can't win. So... God, how am, I, how am I going to uh, put my kids through college, or how can I afford uh, to retire? And Jesus says, I know, but don't worry. Don't worry about those things. We think, what if I don't have enough for me? Jesus says, don't worry, for the pagans run after all these things. And like, we're not supposed to be like people that don't know God. Don't worry. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father, there we have it again, heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows that we have need, and so the, the, the implied question here is, do you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus can fulfill all your needs, not your wants, but Jesus can fulfill and meet your needs? Do you trust Jesus? Regarding our resources, do we trust Jesus with our resources with what we have. And Jesus continues on. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. This sounds a little bit familiar. It sounds like, God, your will be done here and now. But seek first his kingdom, not my kingdom, but God's kingdom. You see, holding on to our, resource, our resources exercises our faith because it challenges us to take our confidence off of ourselves and put our confidence on God. It challenges us to let go of our own self-sufficiency and put our dependence on our Heavenly Father who knows what we need, to seek first His kingdom, His way. It's not a money thing. Priority, percentage giving isn't a money thing. It's a faith thing because it takes, again, our dependence off I can do this. I can provide myself to God. I'm trusting you to provide. I'm trusting you to provide for my every need. So God, would you meet me here? Because God, you says that you say that you know what I need. So God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. And it's and as we we wrestle with this discipline, ask yourself why? Why is this so hard for me to do? Why is this so hard for me to do? And I know for me, this is challenging even as, you know, prices rise, as inflation rises, money doesn't go as far as what it used to. It's hard to, to keep uh, consistent in doing this. It's challenging. That's why it's a discipline. Because there is this pull inside me and there's this pull inside each and every one of us that says it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. I earned it. I need it. But Jesus says it's mine. I gave it to you. 
trust me with it. I know what you need. I will provide for your needs. Again, your needs, not your wants. And so that's our, our second discipline. Our third discipline is corporate worship. Corporate worship that when people talk, tell their faith story, they talk about, and then I showed up for a Sunday gathering. And something changed. You know, I met this person. They began to just encourage me, and they prayed for me, or I made new friends, or I experienced God in a way that I couldn't experience them on my own. And there's something that, that changes whenever we gather together in Jesus' names, that something happens personally when we show up together corporately. The dynamic of this group, to hear people singing, to see people with their hands raised, to maybe see somebody move to tears, does something to our own faith. In fact, sociologists have studied this, and there's data to back this up, that corporate gatherings like this are so powerful to the faith, to the health, to the well-being of the people that participate in it. And, and part of this is that when we're gathered together, we're forced to give up some of our autonomy. That I now becomes we. That it's not about me, that it's, I'm showing up for what God wants to do through me for everybody else. So corporate gathering, corporate worship. You see, the church is how God has chosen to reveal himself to the world today, to work in the world today. That God has chosen to, to work through me and to work through you and to work through all of us collectively whenever we gather together, but also when we go out of here. You, you can't say that you love God, that you're following Jesus and not be part of a of church. You can't love, you have to love his church as well. In fact, the Apostle Paul knew this and he was writing to a church that was divided by many different issues. Uh, the, it was the, the letter to the church at Corinthians. But in, he wanted to emphasize in his letter that in spite of these people's differences, that they could still be unified, that they could still be one, that they were still an important part of the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 27, we read this, that now you, and again, if you remember back to last week, in this case, this you is plural. So come on, what does that mean? Y'all. Now y'all are the body of Christ, and each one an important member of it and you all are the body of Christ individual members of it and there's an aspect of Christianity that you and I that we can't experience alone when we do our daily devotions when it's me and Jesus there's something different that God shows up in a different way on a Sunday morning and a Sunday gathering when we choose to participate in it I can't force you to be part of a community of faith. I can't force you to be, uh, you know, consistent showing up to a Sunday gathering. But instead, I can encourage you. I can challenge you. Because here's the thing about these disciplines that we talked about. Is that these disciplines set you up to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus' command to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And your heavenly father knows what you need. And all these things will be given to you. These things that you need, not these things that you want, these things that you need. And so specifically, I want to challenge you today for 30 days to do these three things. To give God the first minutes of the day, the first dollars of your income, and the first day of your week. To develop these disciplines. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some self-control. It's going to take starting and stopping probably a couple times until you develop the habit 
but that's why it's discipline. What starts out as an ought eventually becomes a want to. What starts out as I'm enduring this becomes I'm enjoying this. And whenever we're willing to do that, habit for years and it's been what God has used to grow my faith to challenge me to grow and mature me into the, the follower of Jesus that I am today and I invite you to do the same to see what God can do and initially it might feel like pure discipline but here's the thing there's no progress without discipline no progress in uh, just you know our personal areas of life but there's no progress in the spiritual areas of our lives without discipline so who knows who knows what God can do in you who knows what God can do in you whenever you commit to trying these things to developing these disciplines and so we're going to close today by praying together by praying out loud God may your kingdom come may your will be done we're going to pray the Lord's prayer and the words are going to be up here on the screen, so you guys can pray with your eyes open. Now that we always pray with our eyes closed, but you're welcome to keep your eyes open because the words are going to be up here on the screen. And actually, while, while we do this, why don't you guys go ahead and stand up? All right, let's, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.